This is episode number 69 with Dan Norris of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia at 1.20am. I don't know why I keep doing it to myself, but I, I seem to keep staying up late and uh, getting my hustle on and then having to wake up super early. I've got to stop doing this. Okay, so... To today's guest, his name is Dan Norris, and uh, he's a, a super successful online internet entrepreneur based out of the Gold Coast. And uh, Dan and I connected earlier this year, and, and uh, we've, we've ended up becoming great friends. And he's the co-founder of WP Curve, Black Hops Brewing, uh, the seven, he's the author of The Seven Day Startup, Content Machine. He's just an absolute superstar. I'm really, really excited to bring you guys just this epic conversation that I that I had with Dan, everything around, you know, how to launch your startup in seven days, what he's learned from uh, creating WP Curve, which is a brilliant service that does unlimited WordPress support. It's a million dollar business. He built that up in about three years. Everything that he does with content marketing, the coolest thing about WP Curve is he built this million dollar business without spending any money except just creating epic content. So a lot to be shared, a lot to be learnt. Uh, this is a really good conversation. It's like pretty much like a conversation with friends that you're just listening into this one. Uh, really down to earth, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, a lot of gold to take away. So that's it from me, guys. Uh, if you are enjoying the show, please, please, please do leave us a review on iTunes or Android or SoundCloud. It helps more than you can imagine. And please do make sure that you check out the fruits of our labor, whether it's the magazine, whether it's you know signing up to our newsletter, whether it's you know reading one of our blog posts, you know because everything that we're doing 
if you're enjoying these podcast episodes, you can enjoy all the other stuff that we've got going on. We're here to help and serve and equip you guys however we can. All right, now let's jump to the show. Yeah, look, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everyone that, that comes on. Like, how did you get your job? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it sort of just really came about through not wanting to do any other job, really. I could tell you a really nice story about being inspired about taking over the world or whatever, but it really came down to being just bored at my last job, bored working for someone else and being restricted in terms of the opportunities that you have when you work for someone else and just being curious about like what else is out there. That's, that's what kicked it all off probably I think nine and a half years ago now, which makes me sound old, but I'm told that I don't look as old as I am. So (laughs) (laughs) that makes me feel nice. Oh, awesome. So what did you do before you, you started to run your own gig? Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have a web development background? No, I didn't. I had, so I worked for the government and I worked for a, a team that was sort of technical in terms of like running a technical project. So I had, I hired developers and then I gradually just sort of got interested in it to a point where I'd start learning about development myself. So I'd buy like books that teach you how to code and I'd never, I'd, I had a business background doing human resources. So I, I knew nothing about IT, but for whatever reason, that was more interesting to me than the, the HR work. So I sort of gradually learned more and more about design and coding and that kind of thing. And it was an e-learning role that I was in. So it was sort of building multimedia e-learning courses. It was, it was pretty like back then it was, we're about the only people in Queensland doing e-learning. It was very, very small. It's turned into a massive, massive um, opportunity now. But back then it, it was really new. And so I was really excited about building little flash courses and recording the audio and, and all that kind of stuff. And when I left, the only real way I thought I could apply that was to build websites for people because I, I just had no idea how I would do anything else with those skills. Um, but I'd never built a website before. I just went out and bought a bunch of books, learned how to do it, took on a couple of projects and sort of just said I could deliver on them. And then after the fact, learned the different programming languages I needed to learn and the different design softwares and got stuck in and just kind of tried to just tried to muddle my way through it for for as long as I could until I could afford to pay someone. Yeah, wow. So you left your job with no agency. You you it sounds like you had a web agency. You left your job without anything in place? Yeah, nothing in place. I actually it was about two weeks after I got a promotion. But I also, like, I had a pretty good – I was pretty young too. So, like, I was, I was pretty young. I knew I'd be able to get another job. I had a sort of weird match of skills that I, I was pretty confident I'd be able to go back and get a job if it all went to shit. So, from that point of view, it wasn't all that risky. But, yeah, I didn't actually have anything in place. I didn't have any customers. I didn't really know. It was sort of pre-CMS. Like, there wasn't really WordPress or – the majority of websites that got built was just coding stuff from scratch. So, I just kind of – you know, contacted people I knew and said, do you want a website? And, and you know, the, the day I left the job, it was the day I contacted the first person and asked them if they wanted me to build them a website and, and I went from there. Mm, okay, I see. And and how long did you do that for before you started doing uh, WB Curve and all sorts of other things? So I know, I know you've tried a few different things. So, yeah, tell us about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it would be, be risking boring your audience if I went into every detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, things yeah, I've but, tried. yeah, let's just gloss over some of these things <laughs> yeah. you've started, man, and tried. Because you've done yeah. a lot of things, bro. Yeah, so I did the, the agency I did for seven years, and it took various forms. I did uh, e-learning projects. I did custom apps. I did web- websites, CMS-driven websites, mainly in Joomla. I did e-commerce stuff in Magento. Eventually moved over to WordPress. I tried WordPress themes. I tried a deal site once. I tried selling iPhone cases and fake iPads from China. Um, (laughs) I built a surfing app to enable people to check into surfing destinations. I was looking at doing a, um, building a pot plant stand to (laughs) enable people to put pots on their veranda. So I did did so many different things at various levels of investment, like the I also did a software. So in 2012, I started working on analytics software and I put 12 months into that. That cost me about $60,000, $70,000, pretty much all of my money. Didn't make a cent, just lost money on it. And I did all of that stuff before starting WP Curve in 2013. So that analytics, was that supposed to be a SaaS uh, and was called Informly, right? Yes, I was just, I mean, it was really like I sold my agency after seven years because I just couldn't figure out a way to make money with it. Like I was just doing the same thing as I was seven years earlier, just scraping through, not making any money, trying to hire people, but losing all of my margin every time I did that. And it was just a bad business. So eventually I I kind of gave up on it and sold it. And my idea was, well, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And I threw myself in the deep end again. And the best idea I had, like I had the pot plant stand thing. I mean, I knew nothing about pots. I don't. If I had a plant here, the only way it wouldn't die would be if it was one of those plants that didn't need water and just couldn't possibly die. So I don't even know why I was thinking about that. The surfing one was just, I like surfing, but it's a silly idea because no one's going to pay for that. And the analytics was really the only one that I thought there was any chance that anyone would pay for. Um, mm. So I chose chose that one, ran with it, and it was I got a fair bit of attention doing it. Like it was a lot of fun and I did started doing my content marketing around that time and that started going well. But the actual software, I think, I, I think after 12 months I was doing $476 in monthly recurring revenue and I had hired two guys and I was losing a couple of grand a month and it was, and I ran out of money. I was so, I'd completely run out of money. So it was, it was over at that point. And how did you, how did you know it was over? Like how did you know not to keep persisting? Cause there's many, you know, super successful entrepreneurs that have kept going. Well, I think what I've done throughout the last few years is I've, I've learned to figure that out a lot quicker. And so I think with my agency, I think sometimes just things don't work. Like my main lesson has been focus more on what's working and, and less on what's not working. Whereas before I was just, just blinded and just following this idea that if I work harder, and if I just keep persisting with something that's not working, then I'll eventually get there. But it's, it's just not how things work. I mean, it was a bad idea mm. and I couldn't make it work for whatever reason. I spent 12 months and $60,000, $70,000 on it and I just sort of vowed never to do it again. So with my agency, it took me seven years to work out that it was a bad idea. The, the software took me a year and since then I've launched a bunch of things that haven't worked and normally within a couple of weeks – maybe a couple of months, depending. I mean, if it's software, it's quite difficult, but normally pretty quickly I can work out that I shouldn't be focusing on it before I, I put too much money into it. And that's sort of how the whole seven-day startup thing came, came about, which was when I launched WP Curve, I was in that desperate situation of not having any money left. I was looking at going back and getting a job after seven or eight years out of the workforce. Um, yeah, wow. And out of desperation, just launched this thing that I had to launch within a week because I had no time. 
And it was a blessing in disguise because it, it forced me to focus on all the things I needed to focus on, disregard the rest and actually launch something and then just start focusing on the things that were working and following that momentum. And a couple of years later, it's a million dollar business. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's amazing like the stuff that you've achieved with WP Curve because yeah, have you spent any money on advertising or have just done content marketing? We haven't really spent anything on advertising. We're starting to experiment with a bunch of different things. I've got a growth guy now who's, who's starting to look at paid ads and stuff like that. But, but yeah, up until now, we, we did a tiny little bit of ad role retargeting, like 150 bucks total. Mm. Other than that, we haven't spent a cent. Yeah, well, fully self-funded. You've got a co-founder. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I started it. We, we were, so it was a service. So there was really nothing required to start it. I put up a WordPress theme put up a bit of live chat software. You know, a week later, I had as much recurring revenue as I had with the software that took me a year, $476 exactly. How? Oh, well, I had 10 people sign up. And, and at the time, I had a couple of people at like 40 bucks a month and a couple at 50, 60 bucks a month. And it just happened to equal the exact amount that I had before. And how'd you get those customers? Well, through the content, because with Informally, I'd set up a blog, I'd started doing all this content. And, and the whole idea with that business was like, I hated a lot of aspects of running this agency. So I said, well, what are the things that I like out of this? And I just decided that I didn't want to, I didn't want to invoice people anymore. I didn't want to go to the bank and bank checks. I didn't want to work <laughs> yeah. before I got paid. I didn't want to quote on jobs. I didn't want to do any sort of paid advertising or face-to-face selling or webinars or anything like that. All I wanted to do was content. Mm. And all I wanted was a business that was recurring. So that's what I decided with this business. So with, with informally, the recurring business didn't work so well, but the content did work pretty well because I really focused in on how to make that work. I built up a bit of an audience, a little bit of an email list. I think it was up to about 5,000 when I launched WP Curve. It's, it's much bigger now, but it was enough yeah, wow. so people could know what I was doing. And, and I think more to the point, though, rather than the numbers, it was like the trust thing because I've been doing these really transparent income reports, lack of income reports, more precisely. <laughs> and I, I, I built up, you know, people knew the story and I'd, I'd become relevant in certain entrepreneurial communities. People sort of knew the story of what I was doing. So when I launched something else, it, it was interesting enough for them to pay attention to it. Yeah, I see. And you've, you've kind of built up a reputation to be kind of like a crash test dummy of entrepreneurship. So let's keep moving the story here. So you started WP Curve, you had, you know, you said, you know, five, 10 customers and you, and you were matching your revenue, uh, your monthly recurring revenue that, uh, quite quickly that you had off building informally. So what happened next? I mean, really all that happened next is exactly the same thing. We had, we had more people sign up. We had more feedback on the service. We had our hands full hiring. I found a co-founder through, through my content. I did a lot more content, doubled down on that. Eventually, you know, started using that content to get press and to build the email list more and to, you know, to get some traction on everything we're doing. People started spreading the word. I really pimped myself out, for want of a better word, in terms of <laughs> going on podcasts. Like I just went to town. Every single request for a podcast in 2000 and from 2013 to two months ago, I accepted no matter what the podcast, no matter whether it was live, whether it was related to business anything. I accepted every single invitation, every single opportunity to get press. We accepted, we chased some opportunities, chased some podcast interviews and just did more and more content. In that time, I've written two books. Um, I've hired a content guy. Just every every step, we've just sort of taken it to the next level. And before we knew it, we were, we were just growing each month, hiring more people, 
and doing more of the same, and, and which really meant that we were doing less of all the shit that wasn't working. So mm. I was no longer trying to validate ideas or, you know, trying to, to guess about what kind of feature people wanted in, in whatever I was building. I was simply just offering people a service, making sure we did a good job and making sure we spread the word about what we were doing. And that ultimately led to us growing from zero to, you know, I think we're at 80K US a month recurring right now in, in two and a bit years. Yeah, wow. It's pretty impressive. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would be asking these questions. These are, these, and these are some of the questions that I had when I first heard about you and your service. So WP Curve, it's unlimited WordPress support 24-7. Now, a lot of people might look at that and think, you know, wouldn't people just absolutely just smash you guys with requests that it wouldn't be worth your time? Yeah, so this is this is one of the good examples of, the, the, one of the lessons in the seven-day startup, which is that you don't learn until you launch. And and to me, these days, like if I can choose between making an assumption about something or testing that assumption, then I'll test it every time, no matter how silly it is. I mean, it was so easy for me to just launch this thing. Like everyone told me that. I literally have a thread in a forum saying, this is the stupidest idea <laughs> because everyone's just going to abuse it. And I, and I thought, well, you might be right, but also, you don't actually know because you're just making assumptions and I don't know because no one's ever done this. So we don't really actually know how this is going to be used by people. And so I could just launch and find that out in a matter of weeks and that was easy. And I see this all the time with entrepreneurs. It's like, you know, they're, they're sitting in forums and they're debating ideas and they're discussing what's going to work and what's not going to work. And it's either something that someone else has come up against before, which is 99% of problems you can think of, or it's something that's so easily testable that it's not even worth talking about it. So it's a waste of time having the entrepreneurial discussion about it when you can put up a page and test it and actually get real information. And so that was a big lesson for us. So in terms of whether people abuse the service, there's just things in place that sort of mean that it's very difficult to things like it is small 30 minute jobs. So that was the whole idea from the start. It's like, these are the small, small jobs that you can't fix yourself. Mm -hmm. And that limits it a fair bit. I mean, you can't build a whole new WordPress site. There's only so many things that are likely to go wrong with one WordPress site. So it's per website. Um, it's one job at a time, so you can't request 10 jobs at once. And so that means if it's same-day turnaround, it means, you know, if you request one job now, you'll probably get it done by sometime tonight and, and you'll probably see it sometime tomorrow, depending on how much time you spend on your computer or your phone. So that in itself means it would be almost impossible to request more than 30 a month. Mm. And because it's per website, for one website to have more than 30 problems, you have to be pretty creative and at, 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 we've also got a, a, like a responsible use thing that just says like if you're not actually using this for a legitimate WordPress small job support, then we'll we'll kind of boot you out. We haven't really had to enforce that too much, but um, it's there if we need it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And dude, you got a big team. Like, how many staff do you have? I think we're at about forty people. It changes pretty regularly. Like Alex, Alex, uh, my co-founder, manages the team and manages the whole service part of the business. So I don't. Yeah have anything to do with that anymore other than I kind of look at the the um, quality scores and, and make sure we've got the right team for some of the marketing side. So I think we're 40 people total, all contractors around the world. I think we're in eight different countries, mostly full-time or close to full-time. And at the moment, we're sort of, we're not growing as fast as we used to grow. We're just sort of growing a little bit, which means we sort of have the luxury of being able to make sure we're getting the most out of our current team. And then we, we keep hiring and, and we just try to keep hire, hire better people. And if someone's not doing a good job, then we let them go and hire someone better. So we've got that luxury right now rather than just sort of hiring anyone and keeping everyone because we're, we're desperate and growing so fast. 
there's a couple of other questions I'd like to unpack around that, but you know, a team of 40 people, uh, where are they around the world? So we've got probably around 25 to 30 in the Philippines, all over the Philippines. We've got two in Australia. So I'm, I was the only one in Australia, but now we've got Vinay, who's our content marketing manager. Yep. Um, at the moment, we've got Kyle, who, who was our content marketing manager. He's over in Utah. We've got Alex and Julie in the US, Brittany in the US, um, but she works Australian time zone, so in the afternoon. Yep. And then we've got Africa, Hungary, a bunch of other, a bunch of other places. As I say, it changes a bit, but I think we're seven or eight different countries. Mostly on the development side, it's mostly the you know developing countries where where the staff are cheaper than they are, say in Australia. Mm. But we also have a couple of devs. Like we've got a couple of senior devs who we pay more and are just there to sort of catch the stuff that the other guys can't catch. But the location doesn't necessarily impact that. Like the guys in Europe are, are particularly good. But I've also got one guy, Andrew, who's worked with me for three or four years, probably more actually, who's in the Philippines, who's, who's still our best guy by far. Yeah, okay, interesting. And and how do you manage a team that big when you're all global and remote? Yeah, we do a lot of content about this on the WP Curve blog. So we use a combination of sort of processes for managing a team as well as systems, so tools, well, probably all the stuff you hear mentioned all the time now, but we've been using them really early. Like we were a really early user of Slack back when people were pretty much using, I mean, when I say back when, I'm only talking about 18 months ago, but mm. when Slack first came out, most people were using Skype. And so we got on Slack really early. We got on Help Scout. We used Google Docs extensively. We haven't had email for any of our staff. We've just had Google Docs. Oh, wow. So none of your staff have email? No, none of our staff. No, the, only, the only staff that have email are sort of like management, like Alex yeah. and I have email a content. We have a, one email address for content marketing. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's really interesting. But that's all. Yeah, it's funny. I saw like a news.com article the other day saying crazy company where no staff have emails. And I'm like, well, isn't that normal? Why would staff have emails? Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Um, okay, interesting, interesting. All right, so you got a cool story. You When you launched WP Curve and for quite a, a significant period of time, you never met your co-founder, Alex, in person. Yeah, well, I've, I've never met really anyone on the team. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't met Alex. That's crazy, man. Yeah, so I think we're probably doing 30 or 40 grand a month recurring by the time we finally met. He's Aussie, but he's over in the US, so we've met in person once. He was going to come over this year, but that didn't happen. I was thinking of going over there next year, so maybe we'll meet again then. But we sort of do different jobs, and it seems to work out okay. But it is, yeah, it is kind of crazy. You get used to I like the remote working thing, but it is... It's very different. Like I've got other projects I'm working on, like the Black Ops stuff, which is all mostly in person. Although having said that, we're slamming Slack every day as well. Very different ways to work. And I do like working in person as well. But the remote team is definitely has its benefits. It's much more of a less hands-on business, WP Curve, especially for the amount of money it's generating in the team mm. compared to more traditional sort of bricks and mortar businesses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so let's talk about content marketing because this is something you're very, very good at and then we'll move back to this seven-day startup thing because I'm sure a ton of people that are listening to this would, would be dying to know, you know, how do you launch a business in seven days? So content, you know, what are things that people could be doing in terms of content marketing to build and grow their business? 
Right. So, yeah, so I, I thought about this because my um, a guy I work next to said, oh, you should write a book about content marketing. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, that could be fun. All right, I'll do that. <laughs> so I did. I wrote a book called Content Machine and I just had forced myself to think about like what, I, what, what had I learned from doing, I think, 300 blog posts before I had a single one with more than 10 tweets. Uh, not that you'd know now anyway since Twitter removed that little tweet total thing. Yeah, I know. Um, oh. But... <laughs> But that used to be a nice way to tell if anyone gave a shit about what you were doing. And obviously no one did because no one was um, sharing my stuff. And so I had to really think about what, what I could do to get people sharing. And so I think the, the biggest lessons for me were probably differentiation, really like especially in the online marketing world, like everyone I see doing something well, like I see your founder stuff, like I can pinpoint what they're doing. I see like someone like Chris Ducker or someone like Shramko, someone like Pat Flynn, Mari Folio, like these people who like are able to enter into a field where it's so intensely competitive for people's attention, where everyone's seen it all, but they're able to make it work. In every instance, I can see something that they're doing that's different to what other people are doing. Mm. And so that I think is the key lesson is like, how do you, how do you stand out? So I'll give you an example with our beer, Black Ops, we have a podcast where we literally record like conversations with investors. We, we go through every step we're going through with our equipment or finding a location. We chat with our designer about how the design process works for our brand, like every detail about what's going into building this brewery. And in the online marketing world, that would just be considered a pretty standard approach to a podcast. Whereas in the beer world, there's no other brewery that I know of with a podcast. I was looking, looking at yesterday the top beer podcast because we're thinking of doing a, a crowdfunding campaign next year on Possible mm-hmm. and I want to try to get on some podcasts for beer and they're all just blokes talking about beer. There's not, <laughs> as far as I know, there's not an actual brewery putting out content like that and it's not just the podcast, it's other content like our blog posts about where to order equipment, how to break down uh, the recipes for what we're doing, how to make tap decals for bars, all of those kind of details that people love to see that because they love the story. And they're not getting it. And that's the differentiation piece. If every other brewery was doing it, we would get no attention at all. But because no one's doing it, we get all the attention. And I think that's the key. It's like if you're in the online marketing world, it's much, much, much more difficult because you need to do something to stand out. If you're in a more traditional business, it's much easier because you can just choose something and test a bunch of different ways of differentiating. And I talk about a bunch of ways in the book. We could talk about those if you're interested. But the key message is just like what can you do that's going to grab people's attention and once you've got their attention, do more of what, what they enjoy. And, and to me, it's focusing on sharing or, or focusing like more human metrics. Like if people are actually going onto Facebook and sharing something of yours, you know, putting their own message in, like actually doing something that a person would do, not, not just like a, a like, which is like a kind of a mechanical systemized thing, like double tapping something on Instagram. It's like, that's cool. But if real humans are talking about what you're doing or they're sharing what you're doing, they're coming up to you at events and telling you they love what you're doing and they feel like, you know, that your story is inspiring and like those kind of things let you know that you're on track and that you're doing something that's really got people's attention. Mm. And when it came to WP Curve, what are you guys doing differently and how are you using content to stand out? Yeah, so the three things I think originally that were the things I noticed because I did, I did the 300 posts, not just on WP Curve. I'd been doing blogging since I think 2009. Yeah, wow. And the three things I noticed that, was sort of different about what I was doing. One was just sharing my story, like the journey. Mm. And that took the form of income reports. As I said, I wasn't making any money at the time. So I was sort of like almost the only person online 
doing income reports that wasn't making a shitload of money. Because like income reports are cool when you're making a lot of money, but <laughs> yeah, a little bit right. a little bit harder to press the publish <laughs> button when you're not making any money. Mm. So people had, had had bought into this story, like they were kind of, you know, like every entrepreneur goes through that story of trying to figure out how to make it all work. And and you know, when you're failing, it's interesting. When you're succeeding, it's interesting. When everything's normal, it's not interesting. So, so I had that story in my favor and people really liked those income reports and liked hearing about the story. I was also pretty happy to voice my opinion about different subjects. So the, the seven-day startup idea came about by me writing an article that sort of went against the, the whole validation concept from the lean startup. And the article was called, Is Startup Validation Bullshit? And I'd, I'd outlined a whole bunch of reasons why it makes a lot more sense to just launch something than to sit around and debate how to validate the idea. So having your own opinion and saying something a little bit contrarian is something that worked in my favor. So that was probably the second thing. The third thing was just the age old, just making something useful. Like that's pretty much universal advice for anyone doing content marketing is if they, if they can make something so useful and practical, so detailed and so good that people, you know, people see it as the best option for whatever they're learning about then it's going to stand out. So that was, so I learned that Neil Patel told me the same thing with his content. Like he said, it wasn't really working for him until he wrote a guide that was just so ridiculously practical that people were just forced to pay attention to it. So I noticed that as well with my content, I would write normal sort of blog posts, a couple of hundred words and people, no one would care about it. It wouldn't stand out. It wasn't interesting. And then when I started writing the really long detailed actionable guides, which sort of inspired by Kiss Metrics, if you've seen their marketing mm. guides, that's when I started to get traction with some of this stuff. So like our longer guides started to get a lot of traction. Between those three things, we sort of stopped doing everything else and until, I, until I delegated the, whole, the entire content marketing function and, you know, we have a bit more rigor and structure around it. But until that point when I was doing it myself, I pretty much just told my story, voiced an opinion about something and then tried to do really practical, actionable guides that were longer, more detailed and stayed away from the shorter, less practical content. Yeah, yeah, that's spot on. And that's something you taught me. Like I remember like when we first met up and we were talking about content and stuff, um, you know, we, we published this article around, you know, it was an, like the ultimate guide. Like Jonathan put it together, you know, the our content crafter. And, and it was just like, you know, what would the ultimate guide look like to learn how to get interviews with hard-to-reach people? We smashed it. It was like a 5,000-word piece. And, and it did really, really well. And it's also... I think you you never know how well it's going to do either because some of these things tend to last so long. Like they're just, they're evergreen, which means you can keep sharing them on social media. They're, they're link worthy, which means their presence in Google will keep raising and raising. And before long, like we, we wrote a WordPress speed article that was on the front page of Google, you know, four or five months after we wrote it and stayed there for, I think a year or more and just sent us thousands and tens of thousands of pretty highly targeted traffic really mm. for free and you don't it's very hard to predict like when you get an article like that that it really is evergreen like your influencer stuff the only thing that's going to change from that is is the tools which might change every couple of years but the the underlying content that you put in there is going to be evergreen and so that that article if that becomes like the go-to source for influencer outreach then then you're talking about tens of thousands of free visits every month for the rest of the existence of founder so the, the power of something like that compared to just grinding out at three or four blog posts a week over that time is is just massive. Mm, that's a really good point you make. And when it comes to content and, and making like 
evergreen content? Is that something you guys focus on always? or Because you talk about a, having a story and you talk about having an opinion. Sometimes that opinion or story makes the content not evergreen. That's exactly right. And we found that with our monthly reports. I found when I was failing, the monthly reports were at their peak in terms of the interest of people, especially the comments. Mm. Because people would really get into it. They'd sort of see themselves at, at, you know, in, in my position and, and try to help and get in the comments and get really active and, you know, they'd, they'd be aware of the story. When I started succeeding with WP Curve, they were also really popular because it was, you know, a cool line chart showing this growth from, from nothing. Um, but once it, once it just became, you know, this month we've grown by 5% and we're, you know, hiring people and firing people, they just became so boring that we stopped doing them because no one cared anymore. So if, if you're doing stories, you really have to be aware of like the story is not going to be interesting forever. Um, and I'm really conscious of that as well with things like public speaking because I'm, I'm just not the kind of person to rock up at every event and tell the same story each time. And I'm always looking for something new um, because people get sick of hearing the same story and it's not going to last forever. And, and content can have various different, different uses. Like we have some content that's designed solely to build trust and we'll put that on our nurture sequence where people – We'll read it and feel more affinity with the brand, but it's not evergreen content that's going to send us ten thousands of visits each month from Google. It's a, it's there for a totally different purpose. So yeah, I think I think it's not just about evergreen content. I think it's quite often that the more interesting posts we do aren't aren't evergreen, but that there's room for both. Mm. I think one thing that Tim Ferriss does really well is just long form evergreen content. He's been doing that for so long, yeah, and he's just crushed it, man. Yeah, so I think like I, I got that sort of from Neil Patel and, and um, Kiss Metrics. Tim Ferriss is a guy who does it well. Noah Kagan mm. is another guy that does it well on his site. Con- Conversion XL is another one. Like I was reading reading one this morning about psychological triggers for crowdfunding campaigns. And, and I've, read, I've yeah. read a bunch of articles about crowdfunding because we're thinking of doing it with Black Ops. But this one is just... It's it's psychology. So it's like Cialdini shit that's like <laughs> yeah. decades old. It's not, it's yeah. not going to change. Yeah, yeah, no, that's spot on. So, look, let's uh, switch gears and talk about Seven Day Startup. Anyone that's listening right now that maybe has has a business idea or they currently have another business in place, they want to launch something or they have another idea, how can people get started, you know, using your, your I guess, framework for launching a business? Yeah, well, I guess, the, I mean, the fundamental reasons why – I put this idea together was because I, I sort of feel like the majority of the advice people get is bullshit. And I think, I think that's, it's that way because either through ignorance, like entrepreneurs don't, they, they overcredit their success, you know, because they don't sort of realize the role that luck and timing and momentum and things, the forces like that have in your success. They, they kind of claim credit for their success and, and bury their failures or they're just trying to sell something. And, and I think, I think like if, if, if people just paid attention to people trying to sell something, I think for the most part, the advice they're going to get is not very good. So I, I put the seven day startup thing together because I wanted to inspire people to not get too carried away with listening to whatever latest tactic people should be doing or, you know, trying to validate their idea and, you know, trying to invent the next Dropbox. And instead, especially first time entrepreneurs to, just throw all of that out the window and then just launch something within one week. And I've had examples of software businesses, of services businesses, info businesses, memberships, all kinds of businesses who've launched with this framework. And I think, I think what it does is it, force people, it forces people to become entrepreneurs. It forces you to 
instead of sitting around talking about your idea, which is what entrepreneurs do and, and debating, you know, I love, I love doing as much as the next entrepreneur or entrepreneur does. Like we all love talking about entrepreneurship, mm. but if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to launch something and you need to get some money from another person. Otherwise you're not an entrepreneur, I guess with the exception of some sort of social, social endeavors. But I guess, I guess the message is launch as quickly as you can. If the book or my free course or my quarterly challenge helps, or my group, Facebook group helps, then you should join that. If, if you're just able to do it, then just do it and take this as permission that you can do it and not think about it too much. And I think, I think when you do that, you, you take the next step and become an entrepreneur and you start focusing on things that actually matter instead of messing around with assumptions and, or making decisions based on what some other expert says you should do. I'm sure people are going to ask this and they want to know when you do launch something and you're testing it, like let's just say you put up a landing page with a service or whatnot, or you know, it's it's you launch as fast as you can. How do you know if you should keep going or not? Yeah, this I think this is the probably the most common question and also the most difficult to answer because I think if it's going well, you know that's that's a given. If it's taking off, and I've had a probably three or four situations over nine years as an entrepreneur where I just know when things are taking off. Um, it happened with the seven-day startup book and the whole idea and the movement that's happened as a result. It happened with WP Curve. It happened with Black Hops Brewing. Other than that, out of multiple attempts at ideas, they've all failed. So the question is not like, how do you know when it's working? Because you will know when it's working. The, the question really is, how do you know when you've done enough on something that's not working? And I don't think there's rules for that because I think the, the, to me, I don't think that an idea is good or bad. I just think that an, an idea is either working or it's not working. And there could be a whole bunch of reasons for it not working. If, if the reason is you haven't tried hard enough, then obviously you should keep trying. If it's any other reason and you've, and you've spent you know, a reasonable amount of time or a reasonable amount of money on it, then it's probably, for whatever reason, not worth pursuing. And I can't tell you whether it's a week or a month or whether it's $500 or $5,000. I think there are too many variables. Yeah, because I've always found this question so hard to answer. It's something I asked, um, I don't know, if, if, if you're a big fan of his, and then uh, Steve Blank, you know, how do you know when you found product market fit? And he, and he kind of said the same thing, like you just don't know. You just got to just kind of work it out and trust your gut, and it just really depends on so many different variables. Well, I think that's a good thing because, you know, I think when people try to answer a question that really doesn't have an obvious answer, then they oversimplify it and – I mean, some people do have rules for this. I think it might be Noah. I might be misquoting here, but people can look up the details. I think it might be Noah Kagan. He says if 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 it's not generating income within a couple of days, then it's it's not a business. There's another guy who who has mentioned a specific time. I can't think can't think who that is, but I think it's risky doing that because it really does depend on the business. It also depends on where you're at. I mean, if you want to do a a seven day startup business as a first time entrepreneur, I would say you know, within the first month or two, you need to be seeing some kind of momentum on something. And if you're not seeing anything, then this, it's, it's, probably, it's probably a situation where you're going to have to look, look at do something else or tweak it or, or really, really be honest with yourself about why it's not working. But if you're in a different situation, like with our, our brewery, like I'm in a totally different situation now, three years on from, from informally and I'm doing this brewery for a whole bunch of different reasons than the first time entrepreneur would start a business. And there's no way we can know for sure that it's going to be successful, you know, without spending quite a lot of money and spending quite a lot of time. 
And for that reason, I think businesses like this are a bad idea for a first-time entrepreneur who's in that situation where they just want to get their business going. But that they're a good idea. Maybe they're a good idea for someone who just wants to live an entrepreneurial life and wants to follow their dreams and is in a comfortable position where they can put money into an interesting project. Um, so there's there's just too many variables. Mm, yeah, that's a good point because you know a question that I play on my mind so often is. And I've never actually said this like over like um over a podcast or, or anything like this is so many people come to me, Dan, and they're like, you know, they see what like the cool stuff we're doing with Founder and they want to start a magazine, you know, whether it's in entrepreneurship where whatever niche it is. And I go back to when I first started Founder. So we, you know, we're we started March two thousand thirteen. You might not know this, we started March two thousand thirteen. And, you know, we're coming close to three years, so we're probably about yeah, three months off being three years, you know, being in business. So similar, similar with WP Curve. And the first day we launched, we made $5. After the first month, we made $80. And there were many people back then when I started Founder that started magazines. They did it for six months. I don't know how much they were making. Not much probably. And, and in our world, in our world, it wouldn't be much. But in, in you know, back then when I was just working my, my day job and I, and I just had the magazine, there might've been a decent amount of money in my world back then. But I guess I always play that question in my mind. Like, what if I stopped and like, what if I focus on something else? You know, where would I be? And, and, you know, what if those other people kept going? And, and when people come to me and say, you know, Nathan, should I do a magazine? I just don't know whether to say, yes, you should, or yes, you shouldn't. I don't know because I always say it's been such a hard slog for me and I've, I've spent a lot of time and, you know, most people would have given up, bro, with, you know, how long it took me to build Founder Up, you know? Yeah, I think, I think there's, a lot, there's a hell of a lot of examples of entrepreneurs who've gone through that process of building something that they know is going to take a long time. I mean, if you start an online magazine, you're not going to be making a reasonable amount of money for a long time. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So for me, if you're... You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you want to start a business, you want a high growth business, you want to actually do something and not sort of spend three years building an audience and hope that you'll be able to sell to them later, then a magazine is a bad idea as a, mm. if you're in that situation. But I think what, what's been consistent through every business I've been involved in that's worked well has been building a brand. And mm. I think with like what you guys have done amazingly well is build that brand. And whether it's whether it's a magazine, and I think now you're in the position where you've got the brand, you've got the platform, you can do whatever you want from this point. I mean, you can, realistically, you'd probably stop doing the magazine and just do social media and you'd probably be completely fine. But, <laughs> oh, thanks, but you've, got, you've gotten to that position of, of that brand recognition and that's happened with me, with not to the same extent, but it's happened with WP Curve from the point of view of, you know, people know about it, people have heard about it and it's happened to some extent with my personal brand and to some extent with Black Ops as well. And I think when you get to that point where you've built that brand, you really, you, you have a lot of opportunities then. You know, you, you can build the business around your own lifestyle. You can direct it towards, you know, whatever kind of customer you want, whatever kind of service or product you want. And you have much, much more options. So that kind of business is a great business, but it's very, very hard to start and launch quickly. So I think generally, and, and it's funny because, in many, way I did, in many ways, I did the same thing, which was I started doing a lot of content really before I had a business. And it wasn't until I launched WP Curve where I had a business that people wanted to pay me for that I could really monetize that. But in, in many ways, I'm giving people the opposite advice, which is having that long-term trajectory for a business is 
the failure rate of that is so high. Like, I, I mean, I would love to know how many people started a magazine around the time you did and how many are actually left. Oh, There's hardly not any. Many. Hardly any, man. Hardly any. Yeah, and and I think I I always get a bit wary of picking out like the outliers. You can you can find outliers in every situation, but if it's going to take you three years to know if your business is successful, then to me, it's not a good idea for a first time entrepreneur. Mm, yeah, I agree. So, in essence, it comes down to your situation and just kind of measuring and learning. And then if you get momentum, keep building on the momentum. If you don't, and it's taking a while and nothing's really happening, just scrap it and keep moving. Yeah, I think the momentum thing's hard because you, you don't know it until you see it. Mm. And, you know, I really, like with Black Hops, we literally, we brewed some homebrew. And from there, like the momentum we got, I, I saw and recognized that straight away. And we just made this business up. We're like, well, we're, we're actually going to make a business around this. Before we knew it, we had investors and we got equipment on the way from China and we're putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into it. But that's because I've seen that momentum before. And until you've been in a situation where you, and, and you've, you know, with your social media stuff, with your audience, when you see that happening, you know it's working, right? Yeah. But for entrepreneurs who haven't seen that, it's very, very hard for them to recognize it. So I would just say to those guys that keep an eye out for what is working. And maybe like the revenue is not working, but maybe their content is working or maybe their emails are working or, or something else is working and try to double down on the parts of the business that are going really well and not just trying to do something because someone, you know, someone says a magazine's good and therefore you're trying to do a magazine. Mm, yeah, that's right. I think that yeah, you've you've put that together quite, quite eloquently. Yeah, that's a big word for me. It di- it didn't fit, it didn't feel, it didn't sound right. Okay. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> anyway. you, can't, you can't mis mispronounce eloquently. That wouldn't be very eloquent at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk about black holes because it, it seems like you know everything you do, man. You you seem to crush it these days. You know, you said you were so kind that you sent me the the, the Call of Duty version, the uh, the Call <laughs> yeah. of Duty special brew that you did. It was absolutely beautiful. I know it's a limited run. I know they're selling them on eBay now. They're like collectible items, and I feel <laughs> very privileged. Let's just touch on that quickly, and then and work towards wrapping up. Yeah, I mean, so the, so Black Hops is is the name of our brewery. We're working towards opening on the Gold Coast hopefully as early as possible in 2016. But the beer with Call of Duty just came about really through content. Like they'd heard about us. The, the agency that does their work had heard about us because we'd been, you know, making noise and getting attention from the bloggers and doing all the content. And when they talked about how they're going to promote the Call of Duty game in Australia, they just sort of said, oh, have you heard there's a brewery here called Black Hops? And and their game's called Black Ops, obviously. So it was a it was a nice fit. So it was either we were going to get sued or we were going to get a deal. <laughs> and luckily, Activision were happy to make a beer, and it was cool because, I mean, no one really made any money out of it. It was just like a good story. We ended up on the news and in the paper and on all these gaming sites, and all these gamers were like unboxing their beer and <laughs> tasting it and putting up YouTube videos and all this kind of stuff. A bunch of yeah. celebs got some, like Guy Sebastian put it on his Instagram profile. So it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's hilarious. You know, it's funny because I was, I was cracking one open uh, when you sent them to me and uh, my brother was just like, oh, yeah, I'd heard about these because like my brother, he rates playing games and stuff. He's a little brother. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, oh, I, you know, I, I, I'd heard about these. So yeah, it was, it's really, really funny. Um, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. And the coolest thing was like for us, it was fun to do, but it was also brand recognition, but it was also like getting part of the craft beer thing is, is a lot of people have this, this thing with beer where they just, 
they, they think they know what beer tastes like because all they've ever drunk is shitty beer, right? <laughs> so the word beer makes them think of shitty beer. Mm. So getting something really different into the hands of people, like like we're, we're literally having gamers like these female gamers saying oh i hate beer it's crap but i'll try this and then they're like oh this is really interesting this doesn't taste like beer at all so that was really cool and then also the reception it got on like the craft beer community like there's there's apps where people rate craft beer yeah Um, wow yeah the reception we got on there was really really good all the top bloggers were writing about it and posting about it and giving us really good reviews so it was one of our better received beers so that was really nice to actually like a lot of times it's sort of a gimmick to do a beer for a launch, but to have good beer was a, a really nice bonus. Yeah, yeah, no, I must attest it is very tasty, bro. <laughs> Thanks, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> so, you know, some people might be looking at this, and I used to look at it before we actually met and I knew your work, before we met in person. I used to always think, you know, because you've got your seven day startup brand, you've got, you, you know, the stuff you do with WP Curve, you've got your, your Black Ops stuff, uh, you're working on so many different things. I, and, and like you even told me that you wrote, I think, was it Content Machine you said you wrote on a plane ride? I wrote the first 12,000 words in about six hours on a plane ride. Man, yeah. that's, in, that's insane, right? Like a lot of people, and myself included, and I always push you on this, like how do you get so much done? How do you manage it all? I, you seem very, very effective. Yeah, I know I seem that way. I just, I just I don't know. I don't know if I am. I mean, I know a couple of things that I've been doing lately that help. Like I do a, for each of the projects I'm working on, I set up Trello so that each week has, so I know the high level, what I want to achieve from what I'm doing. And you put me onto the, the Michael, Michaelwitz, is that how you say his surname? The, yeah, uh, Matthew Michaelwitz. Matthew yeah. Michaelwitz, the, the um, gold, gold pyramid. pyramid. Yeah. So I know like the high level of what I want to achieve. And then for all of my projects, I, want, I know what needs to be done by one when, I break those down in Trello so that every week I've got a set number of tasks. Like, so for the, for the crowdfunding campaign for Black Ops, I've gathered all the ideas and all the articles and everything and spoken to people and put all those ideas into a Trello week by week from now to the end of January 2016. And every week I look at what's in my current week for all my various projects. I come up with a list of tasks to get done for that week. I put it in my seven-day startup group and we keep each other accountable with what we're working on. And I try to focus on like those more important ones before I do the other things. But that's just like, that's like sort of like task management 101. I don't know if that's the that's reason. That's like I, scrum, man. Yeah, I, I think I think like the, honestly, the reason why I think I appear more effective than other people. I mean, you should have seen me before when none, none of what I was doing was working. I mean, I was <laughs> working my ass off and getting nothing done that was, that was making any kind of an impact. I think, I think the key is that I only spend my time now working on things that already have natural momentum. So 90% of the work is done for you. Like if, if your social media is, is growing and, you know, you're spending a couple of hours a day on it, you're going to look ridiculously effective. Whereas if your social media is static and you're spending a couple of hours a day on it, then you're going to look useless. So you yeah, focus that's a really on, good point. Yeah, so you know, people think they're going to think you're a rock star because it's this natural momentum is happening for whatever reason, you know, without you having to push it. And that's that's why I try to put myself in a position where I can influence things to some extent and keep them moving in the direction they're already moving in, rather than just trying to constantly push new shit that's that is not getting traction. And, and I've made decisions to cut out things that aren't working. And you know, I don't do a lot of stuff that a lot of companies do do. Like WP Curve, we barely do any social media. We don't have Instagram. We don't have Pinterest. We don't have, we don't, we, I think we have a Facebook page. We barely use it with other companies. You know, we, like we don't do any paid ads. 
I just I just do what's working. I do what's working for me. I don't even have a personal Facebook page for my personal branding stuff because my groups work better. So I focus on the groups and it, it, it I guess it just makes you look more effective when you're only spending time on things that are working. Yeah. So from what I'm hearing, you're very good at finding leverage points and utilizing the leverage that you already have. Well, if you, if you want to use the big words, then go for it. <laughs> awesome, I always, awesome. I always correct my content guy. Every time he uses the word leverage, I just say, just use the word use, okay? The word leverage doesn't add any more value over the word use. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point on content. Like I think, you know, that's, that's, that's what a really good editor does. A really good editor does, like makes the content or the words or whatever the piece is just really simple. And you want to do that. Like that's something that I've trained myself in my own writing. Not that I do that much of it, but always when we're putting anything out there, always yeah. try and make it as simple as possible. I see this all the time. Like we had like an email that we wrote this week for our listener was like, here's the best practice resource on, you know, how to get the absolute most out of your content marketing. I'm like, well, best and most are pretty much the same thing. So like we can just say that in, four letters in, instead of, you know, three paragraphs. So there's another one that Vinay wrote. Vinay is like really good with the content for WP Curve, but he needs to be like pulled back on the theory. Sometimes like the first one he wrote was about multitasking and he literally wrote, I think, 1,200 words on the theory behind why it's not a good idea to multitask. And I just thought, well, if we're going to teach people about how to get a, how to, how to get around those urges to multitask, then we need to get stuck into that and not spend 1,200 words telling them how bad it is. We can just simply say, like, there's a bit of research that says multitasking makes you dumb, which there is, and that's one sentence, and then you're done. You don't need 1,200 words to get that message across. Mm, and then you just link to to the authoritative post yeah. about it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, dude, um, this has been an awesome conversation. I think uh, our audience is going to love this episode. And, uh, yeah, look, before we wrap, like, where's the best place people can find you? Yeah, thanks, man. It's been fun. So 7daystartup.com is my site. And on there, you'll find a free how to launch in seven day video course, which I used to sell, but I give it away for free now. And I'm also going to do a quarterly challenge where we're all going to get together and do it live. So jump on there and let's launch a business together. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.